The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Or I guess what I'm really asking is, (laughs) how many times can I really start over? Today's listener, Elise, shares a story and question that will resonate with so many. Returning to the corporate world after maternity leave, she no longer feels energized by her previous role. And by the way, this experience is so universal for so many who are finding themselves returning to work in different ways for whatever reason they stepped away after being changed by these last few years. Having discovered her scientist archetype, she now understands her yearning to push into the next unknown to explore new burning questions and solve different problems. And she's starting to realize why she dreads feeling bored at work and is in her words, perpetually impatient for what might come next. And she wants to move from repetitive work to find something more self-directed and mission-oriented, like criminal justice reform, where she has a strong interest. But she's worried about her resume, which is becoming a list of short stints at very different places. She's feeling the, quote, should, of settling down for several years and building tenure in a secure and well-paid job, while also feeling that if you're going to spend days away from your young family, ideally you'd want to spend that time doing something valuable and interesting. What sets up the query, how do you balance your need for novelty and full expression with a value around presence and security? And how many times can you start over, or is it just the nature of modern careers these days? And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is strategic advisor and executive coach, founder of the Productive Flourishing Consultancy and developer of the Momentum app, and author of the multi-award winning book, Start Finishing, Charlie Gilkey. So quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call sparkotypes in conversation. Well, what is that? Well, we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. That's your sparkotype. When you discover yours, everything, your entire work life, even parts of your personal life and relationships, they just begin to make more sense. And until we know ours, we're kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Elise's story in question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Spark. Hey, Sparked team. My name is Elise. I'm an attorney with two young children, and I just returned to work after enjoying the incredible privilege of paid maternity leave. Although I'm happy to be back at work, I'm feeling ambivalent about my current role in the corporate world. I started sort of casting around on the internet for inspiration or direction and stumbled upon the sparkotype. I took the assessment and learned that my primary sparkotype is the scientist, my shadow is the sage, and my anti-sparkotype is the maker the light bulb went on. It turns out that the scientist is always yearning to push into the next unknown, which finally explained why I dread feeling bored at work and am perpetually impatient for what might come next. I spent the first couple years of my career as a nonprofit fundraiser before becoming a leading voice in my state for criminal justice reform, and then was recruited into the corporate world around the same time that I was pregnant with our first child and felt like we could use the money. But I've already held two jobs in three years at this company, trying to find something that holds my interest. The work is 
repetitive. And as you would know, this is kind of killing my enthusiasm. I want to jump into something else, something more self-directed and mission-oriented like criminal justice reform, but I'm worried about my resume at this point because it's becoming a long list of short stints at very different places. It feels like it's time to settle down for several years and build tenure in a secure and well-paid job. But if I have to be away from my kids all day, I want to spend that time doing something valuable and interesting. What kind of jobs are out there for scientists like me who crave novelty but need to provide stability? Or I guess what I'm really asking is, (laughs) how many times can I really start over? Thanks so much for taking my question. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Charlie Gilkey. So, and thank you, Elise, for that question. There are layers to unpack here. I'm watching you listening and alternately like shaking and nodding your head. So we're going to dive into this. I think as we can do, maybe it makes sense to just spend a couple of seconds unpacking this Berkate profile. So she shared that her primary, meaning her strongest impulse for work that makes her come alive as a scientist, that is all about burning questions, problem solving. It is the impulse to figure things out. And it can be a blessing and also presents some challenges that actually are the specific ones that she has outlined. Her shadow sparkotype is the sage. That is the kind of runner-up impulse, often informs and amplifies the primary one. The sage is all about awakening insight. It's illumination. It's, I know something, but it's not enough. I got to make sure that you know it too. And her anti-sparkotype, meaning it's the word that's kind of the heaviest lift, requires the greatest recovery. That is the maker. And that is all about the process of creation, making ideas manifest. So that's the backdrop against which we are going to explore some of what was shared with us. All right, Mr. Gilkey, where do you want to dive in here? Oh, there are so many places to dive right? in here, right? <laughs> this is such a rich thing because there are so many different topics that are so relevant to so many people listening to this. Yeah, so I'm going to start probably at the end, right? And then we'll work backwards because I think she's made some fundamental conflations of concepts that have her stuck. I think she's conflating stability and certainty and clarity. Now, the gamble, the the corporate gamble that she's doing right now is I need
need security, right? So I'm going to trade off this thing that I'm incredibly clear about. And unfortunately, in this gamble, we assume that our job is more stable, that our, like, you know, there's not going to be a pink slip or there's not going to be a downsize or like all those very things she's worried about. Like, we think it's a part of the gig, but it's not necessarily part of the gig. It's just a belief that we put on the things. So I just want to remind at least that the thing that provides the most security for her family is not her job. It's her expertise, her perspective, and her purpose. That is what's going to do it. So I don't even want to entertain like the novelty versus security because a lot of times those can be put together (laughs) really, really well. Now, where, where I will have to defer to you a little bit more with your legal background, right, is talking a little bit more about the career gap scenario, because in some professions, that really is a killer, right, to, ha- to sort of show that in others. And I think it's more common in the way that the work that, that you know, creative powerhouses and, and professionals are showing up now is it's not so much what the, what the gap is about. It's more what are the series of projects that you've done? And if you're evolving quickly, if you're doing things quickly, if you're in an emerging landscape and you're adaptive and responsive to it, it's not looked down upon, right? It's actually the contrary. If you've been in an evolving landscape and you've been in the same position in the same job doing the same thing, it's not good. But before I step too far into that, let's talk about the specific, if you can, like state of being an attorney or being in law and and what that might mean. Okay, so... I have been out of the practice for a very long time, but law also happens to be one of those professions where as a culture and as a tradition, it evolves very slowly. It's very dug in to ways of doing things, to practices, to paradigms. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. Some of that's a good thing and some of that is a not so good thing. You know, you, you want reliability. You want to kind of know what's coming to a certain extent. You want to understand that systems and processes are there too. So you know how to step into them and navigate them. In the context of a slowly evolving paradigm and culture and understanding how, how to accommodate people's unique needs to feel fully expressed in a workplace, that can become a really big challenge. So in not just law, but in sort of like very old, very established, very traditional and and well-defined and structured traditions, you know, we we can see this come up in a lot of different ways. We see this in education too. You know, like teachers who are just on fire and they love what they do and they want to work and they want to do all these different things and be innovative and try new things and really be in service of the kids and the families. And they work within a paradigm, which is so complex and so structured and so baked in that very often they feel like they end up leaving the profession, not because they don't want to serve or do the work anymore, but because they need more freedom to do it the way that they need to do it, to feel the way they want to feel. So again, I've been removed from law long enough to not be able to say I have my finger on the pulse of the way it is now, but I certainly have enough friends who are still and colleagues in the in the practice to, to from that lens, say, you know, I, I get that it is still a very traditional oriented profession with certain expectations. That said, you know, the question was about would gaps in my resume or would a series of fairly short-ish engagements on my resume raise eyebrows? And the answer is probably it depends on whose eyebrows you're talking about. You know, for a giant old corporation or firm where the hiring decisions are made by people who have been there for a really long time and have a certain expectation about how you move through the path of your career, yeah, it may it may actually raise those eyebrows. But what I'm hearing from Elise is that that is the exact culture 
that is denying her the ability to show up the way she wants to show up. So the question you got to ask is really like, whose eyebrows do I care about here? And if the ones who like, you know, would not agree with my decision making process are the ones where like, I really have no interest in being there because I've done that and I know how it makes me feel. And the ones who are much more open to novelty and innovation and challenge and constantly growing and exploring and expanding and solving new and different problems, those may be the people who are actually like, yeah, I want somebody who's constantly looking to actually go deep into some really fascinating stuff, solve it fast, and then move on to the next thing. So wh- what are you thinking there? Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm thinking that, and uh, you know, you can think of an institution that wants to innovate and change, but just doesn't know how, and it needs some new fresh ideas and things like that, which is a hybrid of that. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times when we get these really wonderful degrees, I have some and my wife has some, our default is that we have to be in a profession that directly uses that. We have to be in a feeder profession for that, right? Or what was the point? But when I'm looking at Elise and what she's wanting to do, I'm like, well, there's policy advocacy, advocacy consulting, There's being a part of policy teams for either think tanks or for politicians. There's so many things that don't require her to be an attorney, but will really be able to use her background to be make her better at what she does. Right. It's one thing if me, you know, not having that degree go and talk about a whole bunch of policy changes and things like that. It's another if it's her with that background of being able to do some of that, that makes a huge difference. So I think. That while I understand the fear of a spotty resume, I think it's an excuse. I know that sounds hard, at least I don't mean it to be that way, but I think it's a blocker for you exploring what's on the other side of that, right? And that's not even consider considering being a solo, right? That's not even considering all the whole range of ways you can show up. So that's kind of why I wanted to start at the end about this whole security versus clarity versus certainty sort of scenario, because if we give up some of that certainty... That, that feeling, and I know a guy who wrote a book about it, right? But if we fill up that need to hang on to certainty, then it opens up this whole range of things. Like when I look at her sparkotype, and I know we have to be careful about this, and I'm saying like this sparkotype would be perfect for this type of thing. And she's ideally suited for the type of thing. Like it really, I can see how that ties into what she wants to do. So we have spark alignment. We have purpose alignment. We have expertise alignment. What we don't necessarily have is certain slices of industry alignment and the predictable alignment, right? The predictable certain alignment. But those are the least important things. And I know I'm a business owner. I'm not necessarily pro-entrepreneurship that everyone should go out and start to think. So at least I don't want you to read that into it. But I'm saying I don't think that's such the liability. And the other thing, you know, I talk about this a bit and start finishing about the importance of shipping really important projects and finishing really important projects. When we shift out of what I call career world, which is the idea you show up, you do your time, and doing time is sort of intrinsically valuable. It shows that you've done something, so on and so forth. It's a myth. We've never really lived there, but it's a story we've told ourselves. And we switch from career world to project world. Well, see, in project world, what matters is what you shipped and what you've done. And you have to tell the story around that. So for Elise, if she gets involved in a project that's two or three years and it really makes a significant change and she tells the story about that and her key parts of it and her team and everything done that, then that's what we're looking for. That's what's what so many mid guard and new guard organizations are looking for. Old guard, 
Maybe not, but that's a different scenario. But that's where I want at least a sort of shift. Like, what if it's not about your career? What if it's about a really significant project that matters now, that's sufficient at meeting economic needs now, and that sets you up for the next thing that you may or may not be able to see, but you for damn sure can feel it. Mm. Yeah, a lot of great insights in there. And also, I, I don't want to skip over her very real world circumstance also. Like, as you said, like she had the privilege to actually have paid maternity leave. But at the same time, so she's a mom. Mm-hmm. And so in the back of her mind, she's like, you know, real practical, everyday, real world. You know, like, I, I got to put food on the table. But she also said towards the end, you know, I understand that and I get that. And at the same time, I want to know that if I'm sacrificing time with my family, then I'm not just doing it for a paycheck. I'm not just doing it for that feeling of security. I'm also doing it because I want to be do some I want to do something, in her words, valuable and interesting. Right. Yeah. So she's tapped into that. And it's a it's a tension that so many of us feel. I mean, I've I'm I'm five businesses into my like post law career, like two and a half decades ago, and I still feel that tension on a regular basis. I'm always navigating that balance. I don't know if it ever goes away. The other one thing that I, that I thought was probably valuable to highlight is the scientist impulse. And I write about this in Sparked with one particular person who her friends and family and even colleagues kind of would roll her, their eyes at her. She's a strong scientist. And she kept bouncing from company to company, project to project. And she kind of got labeled a quote, dilettante using her words. But in her heart, she knew what she was doing was seeing a, a, a burning question, going full into it, solving it, and then moving on to the next one. Mm-hmm. One thing, and, and so this is sort of like one of the things that scientists sometimes just have to navigate is knowing that they're actually doing the thing that they're here to do in the way that actually really serves them. And they're being of service to a lot of other people. The things that they're solving could really help other people. And some people will never understand that. The other approach can sometimes be, can I find a, a larger container or organization or domain where there, the problems are so wicked and thick and there's so many bundled under this one big umbrella that from the outside looking in, people can look at me and say like, oh, this person has had this like one thing or this one title or this one industry or this one organization for a long time. Clearly they're committed to it and there's like nobody raises eyebrows, but you know that on any given month, you've just checked one box, you've solved this thing, the burning question has been figured out, and you get to move on to the other one. But from the outside looking in, you're still committed to this bigger thing. And which brings, in my mind, us back to, she said she has this passion for criminal justice reform. What a big, wicked, thorny, complex, problem on top of problem on top of problem laden thing to potentially devote yourself to. I love it. And I was like, well, you're going to call me out like that because, you know, my shadow is scientist. Jonathan knows that, right? And so a lot of people know me for my work on productivity and team building. And that's great, right? I've been spent a lot of time doing that. And that's not how I see my work, right? Um, that's not really the the deep thorny problems that I'm working on of like, how do we in this world set up conditions for ourselves and our community so that it enables full spectrum thriving. That's really what I'm about. But it's very hard to sell and position in the marketplace, so on and so forth. And I don't have any, it's not that I want to say that the things that I'm known for are less than, right? They're just the entry points where people understand the problem that I'm really searching for. And what I want to say about, especially the criminal justice reform, you know, it's those of us who work on social systems have the extreme disadvantage 
that it's not like the scientists who work on technical problems or things like that. Like if they're like they invent a vaccine and then they do the next thing. And then they, so from, from the outside's perspective, it's like, Oh, you've created all these vaccines or you've created all of these technical innovations or you've done all this sort of whatnot. But when we get in these thorny problems, like, social justice and criminal reform and, you know, how to create businesses in an anti-capitalist perspective in a capitalist society. Like those are really, really hard. And you might spend three years and create a little eye innovation or big eye innovation that doesn't solve the whole problem. But when we are in these fields, we unfairly get judged because it's like, well, you didn't solve the whole thing. It's like, you don't look at the guy who, you know, or the people who created the polio vaccine and be like, oh, well, you know, we're still unhealthy. Right. That's not the perspective that we have. But when we're talking about social systems, it's like, oh, well, we still have all these other things. Yes, that's the next three to five years of my life (laughs) working on this piece of it. So I just want to encourage Elise, right, in the same sort of way to embrace that you're going to have three to five years of working on a specific problem, getting some traction, making some change happen. And one of two things will happen. You'll do it and you'll be time to move on to the next thing. Or for whatever reason, you won't be able to get it done. Social systems, regulations, whatever. And you'll need to move on to the next thing. But notice in either case, you're going to move on to the next thing. How about it be your thing? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. The other thing that I want to float here is that she shared that her anti-sparker tape is the maker. Hmm. So you mentioned earlier, Charlie, the notion of doing your own thing or building your own thing, your own company, your own, maybe in her, maybe in her world, it's a consulting, whatever it may be. For a maker, this can sometimes be, it, it often means saying yes to certain things. If you're actually going to build something from nothing, that somebody where if that is showing up as the type of investment of effort that's the heaviest lift for her, you know, it, it's just something to factor into the decision-making process there. Yeah, I agree. That's, you know, I said, I think in an earlier run up, that's not even considering doing your own thing. <laughs> that's sort of the reason I put that as a caveat of like, maybe you think about that last, because there's a sheer amount of making that has to happen when you create your own thing from, I mean, that's the beauty, that can be the beauty of it. And it's a heavy lift. I think, you know, her, my counsel, given just the vignette that she shared is like, I think that there are enough other organizations, small teams, really, really, I want to say progressive, but that made an assumption. People who are trying to crack the same nut that she is that already have a thing going that need her to be, to partner with them and need her to be the scientist and sage more so than being the maker. And that would be the first place that I would start as opposed to just going off and making her own thing. So I want to I want to bring up one other thing before we wrap, and that is, you know, whether it is criminal justice reform or or any other social issue that so many people are really drawn to, oftentimes those are not known as fields or pursuits or questions that compensate well, just by the nature of what they are. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It certainly depends on the structure and the way that you're stepping into it. And you can be in an organization that's well-funded through grants or contributions or whatever it may be. So it doesn't have to be that way. But sometimes you might be called to something and, and maybe you're called to a container or an organization where the topic is spot on for you. You really care deeply about it. The culture is great. You love it. The the people and the mission and the vision, everything just kind of seems to align, but the money is not there. And as a parent, you know, 
as much as we can navigate, you know, okay, I understand intellectually the difference between certainty and security and this, I got to live day to day. And I think about this often because I think we're making trade-offs as adults like that all the time, mm-hmm. trying to figure out, like, this goes back to the end of her question. Like, she realizes that somewhere along the way, there are, there are trade-offs, there are sacrifices, and it's a matter of constantly reevaluating, how do I feel about, like, the, like the different things? And I think sometimes the trade-offs are not necessarily necessarily as baked in as we think they are. Because what if you could say yes to this culture and, and vision and and exactly what you want to be that doesn't pay you enough, knowing that also it's going to give you some bandwidth and some energy on the side. And then maybe you do, I mean, she's, you know, she's, she's got a law practice, maybe a little bit on the side, you know, like a day a week is actually working with private high paying clients you know, that effectively have this Robin Hood business model of, and, and the complement of it all gives her, you know, the financial ease that would make it feel okay with enough bandwidth to spend most of her time, 80% of her time doing the real focused spark work and the whole blend of it actually ends up feeling really good. What's your take on that? I love it. You know, say this and start finishing too. It's like to trade up, you have to let go, right? And to trade up into this purpose work that she wants to do, there's something she's going to have to let go of, right? And I don't think it's stability. <laughs> I don't think it's security, actually. And um, I'm going to pick on New Yorkers here. Jonathan, you're going to punch me in the eye on this one, right? But I've <laughs> seen so many people that are like, yeah, I got to make this, I got to do this thing, but I want to live in New York and it's incredibly expensive. And I'm like, well, if you didn't live in New York City, the range of possibilities of what's economically viable for you are so different. No. We can say that about San Francisco. So, and I understand the importance of living where you are and people can't just move. But my point in saying that is there are certain constraints we, we accept, right? And they might be a hard constraint, but a lot of the constraints we accept are not hard in that way. They're just assumptions that we've had, right? And especially when you look at, you know, read books like the two parent trap, I think, or the two income trap or, you know, your money or your life that make good points that show that there is a cost to working that we often working in traditional ways that we often don't address, right? And the difference in pay that what we're talking about is often the difference between some of these sort of things. And so, yeah, you, you know, perhaps you make X as an attorney, right, in a certain place and you can get this work that is, you know, 70% of X. What I would be asking is, okay, well, how much of that 30% X is truly important to you? What does it buy you that matters, and if it doesn't buy something that truly matters to you, then consider the trade-off, right? Because you're trading that 30% for something that does deeply matter to you. And the other thing that, that we talked about with the ambivalence piece, and I just wanted to say this briefly, really quite normal for parents to be ambivalent to their work when they come back. And at a deep level, having kids or having each child is an identity-changing process. So it makes sense that when you go back to where you were before, things feel different because to change identities means to change the paradigms in which you see the world, right? And so this last child may have shifted, may have created an identity shift that she can't look at her work the same way before. It's nothing that, not that anything's wrong with her or the work. It's just where she is now, her new identity, it's not a fit. So to your point, think about a Robin Hood scenario. Maybe it is one day a week. Maybe it is two days a week. Maybe it's three days a week. 
and you do a lot of nonprofit consulting or you do a lot of other things in the world that lets you do that work without making it an economic container and an economic constraint. I don't know what, what's possible. I don't know what your what your needs are on the economic side of it, but there's a whole range of yes and opportunities or third opportunity, you know, third option opportunities that let you do this work that matters to you and matters to the world without sacrificing the livelihood for you and your family. Mm, love that. It feels like a good place for us to wrap up as well. Charlie, thank you so much. Thanks, Elise, for sharing your story and your question. I hope you found some valuable nuggets in there. And to everyone else listening in, I hope you found some good, juicy things to explore as well. And we will see you next time. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life, and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.